What's up, everybody? Welcome back to A Flare for the Curious. I am Anthony Swindell, host of this podcast, and this is our first episode of the new year, so let me wish everybody a happy 2020. I hope you all had a good holiday, are transitioning into the new year with abundance and ease, and are ready for what is ahead. It is going to be a wild year, I can tell already. Now, I wanted to start off the new year with some new music, so the track you're hearing now is from Thrill House. Check them out on Instagram at Thrill, H-O-U-Z or find a link in the notes to this episode where you can see the full-length YouTube video to this song. 2020 is going to be a big year, and I think we all need to step up the weirdness a little bit, and so I'm hoping uh, this funky song will inspire you to do just that. Now, in today's episode, I will be talking with Bonnie Diaz, who is a certified dog trainer and behavior consultant, as well as the author of The DTLA Dog, A Canine Handbook for Downtown L.A., Now, if you're not a dog person or if you're not interested in pets, I think this episode will still have something for you. Bonnie is what I would consider a modern-day mystic, so our conversation not only talks about dogs and dog behavior, but people and our behavior and how we are in the world, and we touch on a lot of related subjects. Uh, And I just, I really think this conversation is going to appeal to you on many different levels. Now, I met Bonnie back in 2007 when she was just getting her dog walking business started, and over the years, she accumulated tons of information and really felt compelled to share it with people in the form of this great book. Uh, So I'll read you the description just so you can get an idea. It's a complete guide to living in downtown Los Angeles with a dog and includes safety and training tips that make dog assimilation into urban life both fun and easy. The book includes maps with local routes that connect dog parks with local dog-friendly businesses, barking prevention tips, drawings, worksheets, and recommendations and resources for dog walkers, daycares, boarding, vets, dog events, dog supplies, groomers, trainers, and dog-friendly businesses. When I had the opportunity to contribute to Bonnie's fundraiser to get her book published, I um, was eager to jump in at the tier that allowed my dog to get his photo drawn into the book. Bonnie hired another local artist, Emmerich Conrad, to illustrate the book, and so there's some wonderful photos of uh, friendly dogs throughout. And as you'll hear in our chat, this book is deeply insightful on just really so many levels. Now before we jump into the episode, I would like to say a couple things. For those of you who follow me on social media, you may have seen me posting quite a bit about the passing of Ram Das a beloved spiritual teacher who passed away on December 22nd at the ripe old age of 88 years old. He had a profound impact on my life and is part of the reason that this podcast exists, but um, he also has impacted so many other people. I'm not going to go into the details of his life uh, at this moment, but uh, we will be talking about him in future episodes. And honestly, I, we've referenced him several times in the past. I know I talked about him with John Freeze, and we talked about Ramdas a little bit when I talked to Kevin Akkad. So uh, he's been mentioned before. He's a, a big part of my life, and uh, it's been wonderful to see the outpouring of love from all around the world and the support of the extended community. Um, it's really made me feel more connected 
to his teachings and to the greater community of people that have been impacted by him. Now, I'm the kind of person who's uh, really reluctant to follow teachers, so it it takes a certain kind of person for me to to feel so close to. Uh, I prefer to teachers who are reluctant themselves. Um, and Ramdas, you know, he he tried to drop the Baba, uh, and people kept calling him Baba Ramdas. He even tried to drop the the Ramdas and go back to his American name, uh, Richard Alpert. And so, you know, he, he's this kind of person who he's keeping it honest, and he's not trying to t- make himself out to be holier than thou. People love him for his honesty and his humility, and um, he's just, he's had an uh, an amazing impact on my life, and so I I just wanted to say a couple of things about him there, Uh, but if you haven't heard of him, I strongly recommend you look him up, Ram Dass, R-A-M-D-A-S-S, his um, signature book was Be Here Now, but there are tons of free lectures available online, Um, get into it, it's really good. Okay, so we're going to jump into this episode here with Bonnie Diaz. There are links available at aflareforthecurious.com or check her out at bonniediaz.com, D-I-A-S. And I will check in with you on the other side of this episode. Feel free to like and subscribe while you're listening. I would love the support. If you want to write us a review, that'd be cool too. And uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. All right, here's my conversation with Ms. Bonnie Diaz. All right, Ms. Bonnie, let's get into it. So uh, something I haven't shared with my listeners yet is that uh, the first seven episodes uh, were kind of recorded as a bundle. Um, I I did my research and I bought all my equipment and I, I got everything going in August. And so I recorded my first seven episodes um, in August and September and then kind of doled them out. Right. Uh, oh. through, through the school year. So this is kind of like a new chapter. I've had some time to reflect. So this is going to be episode eight. So Bonnie Diaz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah. So uh, some what you might uh, enjoy hearing is that going forward, I'm trying to have a little bit more of a casual experience. I really want to kind of just chill out and, and have some fun with my friends because that's kind of been the best part about it. And when I stress out and try to make it too perfect, you know, then I'm not being present. Like life, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, I'm I'm really happy that that you came. I'm really happy that we have my dog Victory in the room with us right now, giving us those good vibes, that good doggy mojo. <laughs> that fuzzy belly's right there in case I feel like rubbing it. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's a sweetheart. He's a super sweetheart. So uh, Bonnie, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, what you do and how you got to to where you're at. Yes. Um, I'm Bonnie Diaz and I am a certified dog trainer and behaviorist with the council for professional dog trainers. I have been working with dogs in every capacity for the past 15 years plus. Um, which is to say I started off with a dog walking service in downtown LA, as you know, and it expanded pretty naturally into a daycare and boarding facility. And then based off of necessity, I became a dog trainer. And over time, it's become less to me about the dog training and more about the behavior and how we can adjust our behavior to inspire 
behavior out of them that we find agreeable and that we can reinforce. Yeah. So behavior is really my passion. Yeah. <laughs> with, with all animals. Yeah. And so you have this wonderful book that was, I guess, a culmination of your years of experience, the DTLA Dog, a canine handbook for downtown LA. And in your book, behavior is a thing. And it's not just doggy behavior. It's people behavior and animals of all kinds. And I, I, I'll be honest with you. Um, so you sent me uh, the Kickstarter copy back, in the, back when it first launched. I kind of skimmed through it, but I, I didn't really sit down and, and properly read through it until uh, just kind of getting ready for our time today. And holy cow, I freaking love this thing. Like, <laughs> Bonnie, so you're my friend, right? Uh, I met you back in maybe 2007 in downtown L.A. Uh, we became fast friends. Um, but in reading this book, I just fell in love with you all over again. <laughs> uh, it's it's so much of your personality. Um it's 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 so many things uh i i found it yes it's super helpful uh for behavioral training for dogs and for people <laughs> um you've got philosophy in there but it's also i i felt like it, you were like it's a secret it's secretly a spiritually transformative book for humans a hundred percent uh i friggin' loved it you you've got quotes throughout it um you got the dalai lama in there you got the Tao Te ching some zazen <laughs> um I, I just I I felt like uh, oh my goodness I don't know I it 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 helped me to reflect on my behavior and and kind of how you know as I've had my dog for the last few years I've seen my behavior change and and as I'm growing as a human and how that's affected my relationship and how my, I am and my dog is when we're out or in or whatever and I just I just think you did a wonderful job in being. <sighs> so wide and deep in what you brought into this thing i freaking loved thank it thank you oh thank you <laughs> and uh, but i i guess but, but before i i yeah, lend you the mic i want to say also i i thought it was badass that it was also like a, a you brought social justice into it you humanized homelessness and you brought that awareness into it in a really heartfelt way i i absolutely loved it i was stimulated in so many ways <laughs> yeah um, what was it like to put this book together and how, mm. and how did, um, how did your, your years of dog service kind of lend itself to, to doing this? Um, well, I would have to hire people and to train a new employee is to train them from scratch because we all are working with a set of skills that might be maladaptive. Um, and that, yes, that pertains to dogs, but it also pertains to the way that we react to behaviors that are disruptive. And that goes back to childhood for most people. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit more complex than just training an employee how to make the latte or um, or just do the, do the job. It really is a job that you have to center first. So I would start recording. I'd be on walks and I would think of something that I wanted my employees to know about specifically walking dogs in downtown LA, which is a very intense environment for anybody, but for four-legged creatures that are highly sensitive, it's, it's rough. 
So I started just recording in my phone uh, just tips that I wanted them to know and just compiling them in a list. Mm -hmm. And so after a while, I just felt like this is information that everybody needs. If you're going to be living in downtown LA and you're going to be walking a dog on a leash, which is the law, you have to consider a lot of things. And so I also just got to the point where every call I got for training was two things. It was leash reactivity and barking. Mm. And these two things they're very complex and they're also simple at the same time. So you can, you know, and a lot of the other thing too, the, the caveat is that we're at the tail end of the Caesar Milan, you know, wave. Um, and that didn't really do great things for dog training, for people's understanding of how to behave. This Caesar Milan, he was the dog whisperer who had a show. Where exactly. He would, he would he had his own way of training dogs, and other people tried to replicate it. Is what you're saying, and it wasn't always the most beneficial thing for the people or the dogs. No, I mean he's. Um, I can't speak about him as a person. He seems like a really great dude and a great dog handler, and he's somebody who started off like me. He was a dog walker. He was taking care of large packs of dogs, and taking care of a pack of dogs versus one dog mm -hmm. is very different. Yeah. We have to change our behavior drastically. So I can't, you know, the dog training community has a lot to say about his methods. And I, I'll use air quotes, his methods. Um, they're not sanctioned. <laughs> uh. And yet it's the popular understanding of how we should behave. We should be pack leader, you know, this whole thing. Unfortunately, he uses a lot of coercive techniques that create a distrust mm -hmm. and a barrier. And it makes a lot of dogs who are, you know, very sensitive, uh, scared. And so uh -huh. they're the problem with punishment is that it doesn't show the animal what to do. Uh-huh. That makes sense. So we really focus on positive reinforcement, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it's more effective. That makes sense. Um, so I wanted to put all this into one concise book because I felt like all these calls were coming in for the same things. And really the bottom line is having presence. I love that. Yeah. In the beginning of the book, you, you're like, that's, that's the, the root of all of it is presence. And yeah. And you say it in a few different ways and you even, you say in the book, some of it's going to be repetitive, but you, sometimes you need to hear it. And I love how you say it in different ways. And, and sometimes, you know, you're sugarcoating things and other times you're blunt about it, <laughs> telling it like it is. It's really reflective of your personality. I just, I, again, I, <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. It's, it was it so, so sweet and fun, but straight up truth sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Really, uh, yeah, lovely, but keeping a gangster. <laughs> <laughs> keeping it real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. It's a. It was. It was a very interesting process. It took me about four years to put together, and it was a lot of love and a lot of um, a lot of learning on my part. It was a very big. Uh, I would say it was a graduation for me because, mm -hmm. you know, my education has been self motivated. 
Um, and so it was just a really important step for me to take professionally. But yeah, I really am passionate about the state of dog training right now because we are so focused on when when people call me, they're so focused on having you know a well-behaved dog. Mm-hmm. But what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> so arbitrary. It's like what standard are we basing that on? What's the context? What's the dog's morning like? What's their diet like? How's their health? How's their sleep? You know, these basic fundamental blocks that we, so, you know, we think about this stuff with us because we're in a cultural movement right now of making sure that we consider our wellness, our holistic wellness. We have to consider that with them. Yeah. We can't force our will without considering those things first. Mm-hmm. So, yes, okay, we have to consider their diet. We have to consider their nutrition. We have to also consider their exercise levels and we have to consider their stress levels and we have to consider their, um, fun. I mean, dog, like if I were to create a a (laughs) hierarchy of needs for dogs, I mean, of course it's, you know, the, the basics, but fun's on there, (laughs) but fun and adventure, newness, um, these things are vital. You can't expect a dog to behave perfectly on a leash if you don't give it the time to go bonkers Mm -hmm. and go get its zoomies out Mm -hmm. and be a dog. Yeah. You know, and just get muddy and do whatever, you know, dogs need to do. I mean, and I do fundamentally feel that way about us, too, that (laughs) you can't expect us to, like, wear suits all day and not have the time where we, like, hike and party or whatever, like, dance. People are going crazy. Yeah. I, the more time I spend with kids, the more I see that adults need that too. <laughs> kids and dogs teach you a lot about how adults could be healthier. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's enrichment, really. It's We have to consider their enrichment. I, I think a lot of people are, to no fault of their own, are really um, considering dogs as a part of their lives, but really we're cohabitating. Yeah. And... You know, if you just want your dog to be well-behaved by whatever standards that means for you, because it's very different. Some people think that well-behaved dog is a dog that sits perfectly, looks up at them. You know, they say, your dog is so well-trained. And I'm like, he's (laughs) well-behaved. As far as training goes, I consider training just the repetition of my behavior inducing positive things out of him that now became a habit. Mm-hmm. But I'm not a person that that enforces sit. I don't I do not advocate for you to sit have your dog sit for no reason. Yeah, that's something you said in the book too about uh like like ego like <laughs> and are you just extending your own need for control by pulling your dog around and making it jump on every last command? Is it actually useful for the dog to be able to sit right now or are you just doing it to exercise your will on dominance? I really I resonated with that too because I I do catch myself sometimes pulling my dog around or just making him do things because I do have control issues as a human. <laughs> but having that awareness makes me sometimes take a step back and be like, oh, sorry, buddy. Come here. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Let's 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 have some more fun. <laughs> and then it's a balance, right? Yeah. Because at, at the end of the day, you are the leader. You do need to consider you, – you have the capacity to consider cars and, you know, the dangers of our environment. So ultimately, he does need to follow you. Um, but it's 
it's a process that, I mean, you guys are best friends. Like this isn't you dictating his life. This is you guys going through life together. I mean, we, we all know that our dogs, you know, they like to have jobs. The reality is like, they don't have actual jobs. Their job is to be our companions and they love this job and they do it tirelessly, endlessly. They, they love it. And so, you know, it's just really being engaged and being present because people, people say to me all the time that they, they want their dog to behave these certain ways, but, and then my questions are, how much are you exercising? When are you exercising? When you're exercising, are you on your phone? Are you talking to other people? Are you stressed? Are you thinking about your job and the conversation that you had earlier that you wish you'd said something differently? Or are you engaging with your dog? Because if you're you're walking down the street, it doesn't need to be so you have a leash puller, right? This is everybody who has their dog on a leash, you know, if they're under three years old is dealing with this on some level. Yeah. Most dogs. But, um, you know, there's different techniques that you can use, right. To have your dog heal, which is to say, walk at your heel Mm -hmm. by your side. Is that a criteria to you? Why is that a criteria? Is that for you or for them? Hmm. And so, you know, these things are really important. What's your goals? You know, most people's goals are not to have a police dog. Yeah. <laughs> and, and furthermore, is that a realistic expectation? Like, if you have a chihuahua or a dachshund and you expect them to behave like a German shepherd, this is an unrealistic expectation. Yeah. So people go to dog trainers, and I, and I get it all the time. People are like, oh, we've seen... We've seen three dog trainers before you and nothing works. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, really? Is it that nothing works or that you're not working it? Yeah. Because it's work. Everything works. I mean, you follow through and commit to it. And, yeah. You know, um, and so my, my work is, you know, people are like, oh, well, you know, should, should we meet outside? I'm like, no, we're going to meet in your living room. We're not even going to go on a walk the first time. We're going <laughs> to talk. Yeah. We're, we're going to really get back to our basics and figure out what your goals are. Are those realistic? And how are we going to incorporate your dog's needs into your, your plan? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I, I also liked uh, in going through your website and some of your services and offerings, uh, city strut.com is the site. And you, or bonniediaz.com now. Bonniediaz.com. D-I-A-S. Correct. Yeah, and you're offering services in Los Angeles and New York, mm-hmm. New York uh, city, city, and Brooklyn, or Brooklyn ex- more specific. Uh, just city area, yeah. City area, all cool. over, all over. Yeah. So yeah, one of your services is you offer Skype sessions. Yeah. And, and at first I was like, Skype? How do you train a dog through? Oh, you got to train the humans. <laughs> and I thought that was so valuable because so much, like you're saying, of the work is talking to the humans and getting that straight first. And so I thought, oh yeah, Skype sessions is also a valuable service. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I mean, my sessions get really personal really quickly. I have to ask questions that are hard. Yeah. How are you? How's your stress levels? These things really matter. Yeah. Because if you're, if you're stressed out, if you didn't sleep enough, if you're drinking too much caffeine, 
if you are unbalanced in any way, if your emotions are unbalanced and you're going on a walk, your dog is going to step into the position of being the alert one. Mm-hmm. So it's, you, you don't want that, right? You, you want your dog to follow your lead, trust that you can lead mm-hmm. and you can't lie. You can't with humans. You can say, Oh, I feel great, but you can't lie to your dog. They feel it immediately. They have, they are masters at reading our facial expressions. Masters. Yeah. And mimicking. Yeah. So to me, it's, it's, um, you know, a lot of my sessions get really personal, you know, and I, and I've shadowed other dog trainers. I've worked with other trainers and, and they really, most people I find keep it pretty surface and keep it really about the dog. Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I really, I, I get deep and I ask, I ask hard questions, you know, because those ultimately those questions can be barriers to progressing. Really? So if we don't, yeah. Cause if I don't, if I don't address somebody's stress level and we're talking about, um, leash reactivity, which is to say, two dogs crossing each other and looking very fierce and aggressive toward one another. Yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that that's the case, but it can be scary and it can be jarring and very disruptive for people around, especially those people that are kind of afraid of dogs. So, Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, um, it's just crucial to address those things first. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, something I've talked about with some people before in my personal life, I think even posted about it online, is, you know, I I don't I don't necessarily sit on a cushion and meditate every single day, mm-hmm. but I'm out there walking my dog every single day. So that, if anything, is my daily practice. And I can always see where I'm at and like gauge where I'm at in a day based on how I am with my dog and it's just such a constant lesson to remember to to take a breath and just have that beginner's mind with myself so i'm treating him with the respect that he deserves because yeah i i just i am it's so easy to see where i'm wavering based on how i am with him Hmm. and uh first and foremost i always want to make sure i'm not taking out any of my shit on him (laughs) because he's you know he just has to take it poor guy (laughs) you know and and he will and he will and and that makes him I just, he, you know, he does have some trouble with that leash aggression crossing with other dogs. Mm-hmm. And I absolutely see a difference in his behavior based on how I'm feeling and acting when I'm on that walk too. So yeah, kudos to you for bringing all that stuff up and bringing it into people and keeping it real. What kind of feedback have you gotten from people? Have you had any people like get really, <laughs> I know sometimes when people ask me questions that I'm not really open to exploring or hadn't considered, I get real defensive sometimes until mm-hmm. I'm open to it. Have you had people... Give you any adverse reactions to some of these blunt questions? I prep them. Okay. I do tell them uh, that I'm going to ask personal questions. It's a safe space. It's completely confidential. You don't have to share anything. You don't want to share. But there's a purpose to these questions. The purpose is your dog's well-being. And that means your well-being. Yeah. So I, I find it really important, even if they don't want to answer the questions, which I haven't had yet. Um, but even if they don't, that's fine. I would like them to consider them. Yeah. Yeah. Even alone, you know, but the sessions can be very emotional as you might imagine. It gets yeah. it and it gets deep fast. Um, I, 
I have had several um, sessions, most sessions, I would say, uh, with people who cry and express their emotions. And, and I'm a safe place for them to do that. And um, a lot of times I will have conflicts between partners. Mm. One partner might be one way with the dog. And the other partner might be a completely opposite way. So that's something we have to consider, especially when there's multiple people in the household yeah. handling the dog or a dog walker. They're, you know. Um, and so these things are just really important things to consider. None of it's bad. None of it's right or wrong. It's just things we have to consider when we're setting the criteria for our dog's behavior. Mm-hmm. If we're If we're going for Lassie... But we work 14 hours a day. <laughs> this is bananas. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not I, I'm not a stickler about rules. I don't think there's a right or a wrong about whether your dog should be on the bed or not. I don't. I do not agree with that. Um, I will say that there's certain times where if I'm boarding a dog, I won't let them on my bed for certain reasons. But it's not a general rule of thumb. Um, but, yeah, body language and access to resources mm-hmm. are a type of language for them. So, you know, being on the bed is – it is a, a higher status. It does yeah. mean that they are elevated yeah. physically and <laughs> metaphorically. But um, – so, yeah, I, I, I'm very flexible with it. Um, but, yeah – yeah, I, I like what you said about not thinking that it's good or bad, but maybe uh, to add to that, it's as long as you're clear about what it is and consistent. Consistent. And in your book, you have um, these little pencil icons for uh, people can fill out some questions to kind of help them think through what their criterion is, right? And so one mm. of the things is, do I let it on the bed when it asks or not at all or sometimes or whenever it wants? <laughs> you know, you had all these different questions. And so I think... Again, whether or not the people answer to you, it's something for us to reflect on about how our behavior is. What are our intentions? What are we going to set as the rules for our existence? What do we expect from our dog? What are we then expecting and delivering from ourselves as well? Agreed. So I love the little uh, uh, workshop worksheet areas. Yeah. Worksheets. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah it's so interactive. I absolutely love it. <laughs> um, what kind of feedback have you gotten on your book? I've got great great feedback. I mean, um, yeah, it's it's not a book that I think people should read cover to cover. I, I think it's a, a resource that you should flip through and see what pertains to you. Um, but if something looks funny or interesting, you should probably read it um, because there's a lot of topics that I go over and, you know, some of them are your run of the mill dog training stuff. And then some of them are deeper issues to explore within yourself. Um, but yeah, being consistent, especially with other handlers of your dog. I mean, I grew up saying, wait, you grew up saying, stay, we have to come to an agreement about that. What does wait mean? What does stay mean? What does sit mean? What does down mean? And the thing is, is that a, a well-trained dog is really just a consistent human. Mm. It, I like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because if you are consistent, your boundaries are consistent. 
your dog is going to learn that that's clear. If you are not consistent, if you don't think and consider what your rules are or your boundaries are, your dog is going to push and chances are you're going to allow whatever in that moment, let's say, uh, your dog is barking at you to kick the ball or to throw the ball. If you then do it, your dog is training you to throw the ball when he barks. Yeah. If that's okay with you, great. I'm not going to judge you. It's not okay with me. I don't particularly like that. So I don't, I just ignore that. I, I ignore behavior that I don't want, you know, to, to double itself. So yeah, I liked it when you walked in my house earlier, my dog started barking at you and you just turned around. Yeah. I, I loved it. I was like, yes, I love it. Yeah. And it's also like, we have to really consider that too. You have people coming in your house. You got grandma who stops by that wants to drop off the treats and yeah. you know, people, and you'll set your boundaries with them and they're like, oh, whatever, it's a dog. I'll just feed it some food under the table. It, I think it's important to consider those things too, you know, and, and leaving some room for that to be the case. And if if you're consistent with your dog, they will learn to be consistent with you. And then if you have somebody in your life that has lax boundaries, they'll learn that too. And it's that's okay. so true. So when I come in the house, he doesn't bark because mm. he knows that I don't give him a response that way. But right. but, he, but when he's quiet and I come in, I give him the full belly rubs. I give I give him all my attention. I set exactly. down all my bags and I lay down with him. Yeah. Uh, but when like you walked in and he started barking, my mom, when she comes over to visit, she lets him do all the things, lick her on the face and all the things. So he has no boundaries with her. And it's so hard mm-hmm. to, to, to work with that because he, he's learned because I'm not always here to enforce what I see as the ideal behavior I prefer. <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, he's learned everybody's personality in the house and what he can get away with. It's so interesting to watch Absolutely. him interact so differently with different people. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's it's a uh, it's a beautiful thing. It's fascinating. I I, I appreciate that that they are so observant. Mm-hmm. But so observant. Like the thing you said about reading facial expressions, that's not just uh, a story. Like I read an article about it. That's a real thing. They can oh, be yeah. it. like, they're Oh, they're masters. So smart. Yeah. So smart. And the slightest eye movements, the, the very fine movements they can read. So there's no, there's no lying. There's no hiding. Yeah. And I guess uh, that kind of adds to uh, what, what you think you started to say something about communication. I love like the things you said in this book, uh, a growling. So I, I, I had fun reading the book partly because it was interesting for me to see some of the things that I do and some of the things that I don't do mm. and some of the things that I might want to do or, or I used to do. And uh, one of the things you mentioned was like growling as a means of communication. <laughs> you know, like uh, you don't think you growl, just like watch a wolf documentary and you'll like get like right into it. <laughs> mm-hmm. and what was the other thing you said? You said this thing. I think I I jotted it down. Oh, uh, right after that, in the communication section, you said, uh, did you hear the good news? As it turns out, humans are magic. <laughs> we can imitate so many sounds. I was like, oh, yes, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, was, um, I was considering the idea of taking uh, an extended vow of silence. And so I was uh, practicing nonverbal communication with my dog for a period. And Beautiful. so, yeah, so I got into the little clicks and chirps and snaps and stuff. And sure. Yeah, it's it's a. I, I like what you emphasize about how um, if you're constantly verbally communicating, talking to your dog, then you become background noise, mm-hmm. especially in a 
busy city situation mm -hmm. and how the less verbal communication makes them pay more attention to when it actually does come out. 100%. Yeah, I, I found that to be reflective of my experience. But the, the clicks and the imitating sounds, uh, it's that's a fun way to communicate with them, too. I like it. It, it definitely, um, akin to the growling and the chirping and the magic, makes me feel like more of the earthbound animal that I am <laughs> and to interact with him on a much more intimate level. It's, it's, it's profound. I mean, I, I commend you for seeing that because that is, I mean, it's actually my goal. I, I, I don't expect to achieve uh, utopia in this life, but I think it's the right thing to do to work toward it. Mm -hmm. I love that you said that. <laughs> yeah. Um, because ultimately, reserving your words, thinking about them, it's a meditative practice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, having spent some time in foreign countries and not knowing the language and picking up enough to get by and so forth. I love it because it makes me have to really think about the words before I say them. Because in English, I don't have to think. I can just... Yeah. And so it's really nice to to really stop and have those reminders, whether you're in a foreign country or you're working with an animal who does not speak English um, and whose primary language is body language. Yeah. Um, it's really, for me, it is my religion. And it is my lifelong practice to come back into my soul, stand in my animal nature, feel my breath, live in my instincts, be completely observant of all that is around me and not judge it, mm. see it, accept it, and think about how I want to behave to create a more harmonious world. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, I mean, I just, I think we're in a really, uh, we're, we're in such an interesting time in history and we need all that we can to progress and to find peace in this. I mean, we have so many beings on this planet. We have to have tools for peace. And... I think our dogs are a giant one. Yeah. And I think that they are here. We need them. We, and they're here for this purpose. They've always been in our lives to progress. We've always had a relationship with canines that is about uh, harmony and working toward a pack, having a cohesive pack. Yeah. And so I do feel that worldwide, um, this is an important practice because, as you might know, people are having less children and more dogs. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a worldwide phenomenon from oh, wow. Japan to Brazil to, you know. I was so, aware of the less children, but that's an interesting counterpoint that more dogs. More dogs. Obviously. More dogs. I mean, more cats too, but more yeah. dogs. Yeah. And, you know. For sure. And I and I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing, and I think it's important that dogs keep us grounded in our animal nature because you know as we're growing into more and more of a technological world, 
um, and looking at screens more often. Our dogs are like, hey, here, now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I might have said this on another show. I, so I took this environmental leadership class, and the, the oh, I, so I interviewed the professor Tom Moritz. We spoke about that a little bit, and uh, yeah, he asked, "Okay, who's seen any animals today? Raise your hand." And I was the only one who raised my hand, and I was like, "Yeah, I was out in the park this morning with my dog, and I saw squirrels, and I saw bluebirds, and I saw this and that and the other thing." And I get to see animals every day. I get to go be in the park every single day, multiple times a day. The dog, like, I would be buried in computer or in books or, you know, I'm in the middle of school right now. So sometimes it, it requires effort to go outside. And the dog, it's part, it's part of the routine. So it, it connects me to nature in, in ways that I might allow myself to, to drift from it. You know, we, we touched on self-care a little bit. And for me, unfortunately, self-care is one of the things that is quick to go when I start to get too busy. It takes real effort to make sure I'm taking care of myself and food and rest and exercise. But I'm not going to go for a walk in nature usually <laughs> as a means of self-care when I'm so busy, but I'm so grateful that he he connects me to to nature. I, I get to see trees every day. I get to stop under a tree and just appreciate it while he's doing his thing sometimes and I love it so much. Breathe the air. Mm. Exist. <clears throat> yes, I am um I feel really passionately about about the role of dogs in our lives at this particular juncture in human history. I think it's really important. Um, and I and I will just say, I give myself, I give you, I give anybody the permission to use your dog walks as a meditation. Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. if if you do consider it your meditation practice or one of them, that is going to change the context a little bit. It goes from, oh, I got to walk the dog, being a chore, to being something that you turn off your cell phone for, that you make sure that you, you're wearing the right shoes, you, you, you had something to you know fill in your stomach, or whatever it is that you need to, to have a really grounded walk. But just the consideration... And being out there and also doing it regularly. I I like to immediately wake up and take dogs for a walk. I mean, lately I've been spending a lot of time in New York and it's freezing. So that's like a new <laughs> level. Um, and my dog is not accustomed to the cold. Yikes. But um, I think it's such a beautiful thing when you can start your, dog, your, your day that way. And I notice that it's a, a, a great foundation for them as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. In terms of making it a meditation, so sometimes uh, presence is the goal. Being with my dog the entire time, staying grounded, appreciating the nature. But sometimes I'll do other formal practices, like I'll I'll decide, okay, this whole walk I'm going to do a mantra, and that probably goes against your recommendation to be present with my dog. <laughs> I, I, I sometimes do tune him out because I'm doing other practices. Oh. Um, but I, I'm giving enough attention to our environment, and I'm, I, we're safe, and it's it's pretty suburbia out here, so minimal attention works. But I'm but he's also terrible about street treats, so I'm also very much aware of that. But I will do you know either like a walking meditation where I'm trying to experience my my feet the entire time, or a mantra, or a breath, or different awareness practices. Mm-hmm. I love to in, all the time, but I mostly get to do it on dog walks. Let phenomena present itself 
without me ascribing meaning to it first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so without saying this table is a table that is meant to hold things. So what is what is the table communicating to me? What are the trees communicating to me? What are the birds and whatever communicating without me imposing my ideas on it? That's one of my favorite things to do when I'm out with walks. I love it. That's like really, for me, really present. Just being open to what is and letting it show itself rather than me trying to put meaning on everything. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I absolutely love utilizing my, my walking time to to go in inward or to be present with what is around me, to spend time with my dog. As you know, I live with many people, so it's often some of my most peaceful time is out just hearing the birds chirp and watching the dog do his thing. Uh it's 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 really it's been it's been beautiful. As somebody who has struggled with consistency in a variety of ways in my life. I just didn't have a lot of discipline growing up as a child, so I never cultivated these kinds of habits of consistency. Mm-hmm. But with the dog, there's no question about it. He's going out. <laughs> Even right. though we have the backyard, like, I'm going to take him for a walk. Yeah. Twice a day, minimum, sometimes more. Yeah. And so, yeah, to have that consistency in my life has been the biggest blessing. I can't even... I, yeah, it's just the absolute biggest blessing to have something so consistent. And so imbued with love and presence and... So multifaceted. Play. Play. <laughs> Adventure. All the things. And that 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 na- that natural feeling, that that animalistic embodiment that I am gets so neglected in, in our intellectual age. Well it's we're living in we're living in our logic and that has you know, very obvious benefits uh to the society we live in but it doesn't do much for our spirits because um we we're existing in our brains and we're processing everything through this filter of what we consider our logic yeah but the reality is that we're organic creatures that are living in an organic world that is messy and unpredictable yeah and dropping down being in a heart space allows, I mean, for me, I'll speak uh, for myself, dropping in a heart space when I'm working with dogs allows the sense that I, that we're not separate, that we're all, we're all this one happening. Yep. We're all on this plane. We're all part of this great now. And we exist as one when when we're connected with that leash even when we're not even when we're playing ball whatever it is we are one thing there is no separation and i want to ask you um when you're when you're walking <coughs> victory do you um go at, at a consistent pace what's your walking pace like and do you do you let him stop and dictate where the um and I'm there's no judgment here there's mm-hmm. no right or wrong, um, do you let him dictate where he wants to stop and sniff does he or do you just kind of go forward? We mix it up a little bit. Um, some days I try to keep a solid pace. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to you know maybe if I know we're gonna have a shorter walk today, I'll try to make sure we we brisk it up a little bit, even run across the field. Um, for the most part, I, I let him stop and, and sniff. Yeah. But sometimes, um, 
I will encourage him to to move it along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes we don't we don't stop and sniff, and sometimes we just we just keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, uh, until we at least. I don't know, work up a little pace. Sometimes it's situational. Like, I don't want to stop here because I see some people are coming out of their house or whatever. Um, so we mix it up. But by and large, I try to keep a consistent pace while still allowing him to to stop and sniff around. Mm-hmm. Generally, that's most of the time. And so and you're at a walking pace, fast walk? Uh, what's, your, mm. what's your pace like when you're going? Uh, just usually steady. I like... Sometimes, especially on colder mornings, to move quickly. And so sometimes we'll do a brisk pace. Great. But mostly it's just a steady pace. And then once in a while, I'll have a meandering morning. And we'll just really lackadaisically mosey around town. Maybe once we get to the park, we'll pick it up a little bit. But then kind of just really taking our time sometimes. You know, so we we change it up a bit. We're out there all the time, you know. And we have multiple parks within walking distance. So it's nice. Um. They're working on the dog park down the way, though, so it's all torn up right now. We we haven't been able to go there for a little bit, but uh, I try to give him some off-leaf time, too, because he's, he's a farm dog. Like, I got him up in Northern California from a woman who would walk him off-leash mm-hmm. in, in the neighborhood. Sure. Um, but he's not particularly good off-leash in such a busy setting. He will chase squirrels and things, mm-hmm. and he does run up to people and bark at them when mm-hmm. he is intimidated by them. Um, and in the city, there's just not a lot of off-leash opportunities. Even in the hiking areas around here, there's not. It's not really suitable for that. Right. So I think it's it's kind of really made both of us feel confined on mm. our walks a little bit. Yeah, off-leash time is vital. Yeah. So I'm fortunate I have this yard back yeah. here. You know, it's a good yard. We do a lot of play back there. Sure. But it's not like hiking. <laughs> right. You know, uh, but Northern California, uh, we were talking a little bit before uh, we started recording, um, you know, everything's lush. So he would be pushing through all the bushes and just bouncing off and through and everything. And, you know, uh, but down here, A, he's not off leash. And if he was, everything is so spiky in LA when you're hiking. I, I don't think he'd have as good of a time right. as he did up in Northern California. Yeah, the the off-leash hiking is, uh, in terms of enrichment, it's the highest. Yeah. Being able to be autonomous and the trust that is there. I mean, he's yeah. six years old. You know, he's, yeah. a, he's a grown-ass man. <laughs> yeah. And That's when we would hike, speech. he would chase deer off into the woods, and I'd be like, oh, shit, I'm never going to see my dog again. No, and, he'll come back. You know, and he would always come back, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so I... So far, so good, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, dogs are pack animals. They don't yeah. want to leave you. No. No. You, know, you have a good relationship. But I've also, you know, uh, in that in the same area, I had uh, a friend's dog took off for the night. He was still intact, so I think he might have been hunting females. Mm-hmm. But he would disappear for, like, a couple nights sometimes, that, mm-hmm. that guy. And I know you mentioned in your book when you were in Wisconsin and you had an, an outdoor dog who was always outdoors, sometimes that dog would do it too. Yes. So I guess it depends on the dog. Yes, and What they're definitely. capable of. And it depends when they were uh, neutered or spayed. That, uh, that matters at what age. Um, were they, the consideration is, did they develop habitual behaviors before they were neutered or spayed? Mm-hmm. Um, so, because if they did let's say like my dog, my dog was born and raised for the first year in shelters before I found him. And so there, those, the first six months of a dog's life are crucial, just like humans, the first six years. 
So those there's two different fear periods too um, in the puppy phase. So by fear, I mean if something happens, like a truck closes its door really fast, uh, slams it shut. And this used to happen in downtown LA all the time because there would be the the food service delivery trucks. So loud in downtown. It's just like cacophony. Yeah. But um, yeah, they those 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 periods are are really important to consider. You know, for in terms of setting criteria for behavior. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, just like what their early life was like. But of course, a lot of us rescued our dogs. We have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> we you know, it's it's just. We're just managing, and yeah. that's okay. You know, so managing that, behavior is is okay. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. People are like, "Well, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, I have to just like manage it." I'm like, "That's great if it's working. It's it's great, you know, because if and I and I'm just asking these questions because the enrichment of running off leash and going buck, yeah, <laughs> and being trusted." Is huge, um, and you can work to that. You you should work to that. You shouldn't just immediately like let your dog off leash. You know, you should definitely consider what they're used to, um, because if they're not used to running off leash, and you suddenly give them that range, oh. they might bolt. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they might just take off. Yeah, and that's another reason why I think it's super important to do it on a regular basis. It doesn't have to be every day, every week, but if you let, I mean, using you and Victory as an example. If you just took Victory once a month to Runyon, you know, where he could be off-leash, be in nature, sniff all the sniffs, and... Did you say Runyon? Runyon Canyon in, in Hollywood. Oh, not familiar. Whoa, you Angelino, <laughs> you, you. It sounded you'll familiar enjoy the name. It. I'm going to write this down, Runyon Canyon. Oh, you'll enjoy it. Great. I mean, it it's packed, which is great. It's a, it's a, it's a puppy dog party. Okay. Um, yeah, it's sanctioned off-leash dog hiking oh that's wonderful yeah it's huge and it's you know trails wide by chance they are they're great because there was i've done some off-leash hiking with him but sometimes the trails will get narrow and you can come around a corner and people will surprise you and so you'll freak out no they're wide (laughs) nice yep they're at most of it you could even drive a car it's that wide sweet but um yeah it's just it's i want to say north west of griffith so but um yeah and and I and I only say this because it's just you know even even if it's just once a month to have that moment of bliss and going buck and spending that yeah. amazing quality time with you that is going to do a couple of things that's going to first of all give them what they need which is like party time that's yeah. <laughs> a need yeah a requirement for setting criteria of behavior. Um, and then what it also does is it allows you to then notice your behaviors in terms of dog guilt. Like what I mean by that is a lot of people have dog guilt that they, they know that they probably haven't been exercising their dog or socializing Uh, their dog enough. And so they will, relax their boundaries because they're feeling guilty oh wow so my services um the the plane train is 
you know, it's an hour of playing, going buck, we go on a hike, and it's and it's not just going to a field and running around. It's having a, a path. And we're going somewhere, and we're a pack, and we're going somewhere, we're doing something together. Nice. So we're not just completely focusing on one another, because that, I've noticed, you get the herding dogs that want to herd the other dogs, and... Uh. They really just focus on one another when we go to a field, and that's great. I'm not. I'm not knocking that whatsoever. It's a fun party, but um, but I like the hike. I like that we start off at one place and we go down to the valley. We go across the river. We come back up, and they get to romp through the water. You know, chew on the branches, <laughs> whatever it is, chase each other. It's been know. cathartic for me to watch your stories on Instagram with all those pups out there playing in the woods. I'm like, oh. <laughs> victory we gotta go <laughs> look at her she's really going cute. little corgis trying to cross the river <laughs> right oh my goodness i know <laughs> so right much fun. So yeah much fun. <laughs> yeah i mean but you know I, I, this service is is it's for their enrichment mm-hmm. it's for people who don't have the time to do that and that's you know no judgment we all have jobs um but the second half of it is training and so we will work on cues honestly the cues are the easiest thing uh, the training is the easiest part. Mm. The hardest part is me being aware of everybody's social needs, quirks, uh, triggers, and adapting. So it's really just – it's. I have to be careful about comparing them to humans because there's a lot of things that we compare dogs to humans and that's not at all the same. Yeah. But then there are a lot of things that are really similar and – and I'm comfortable making those comparisons because it's a lot like children in a classroom. You know, the, the children start off going to preschool in a kindergarten. Yes, because they start learning their letters and their words and so forth. But it's also about the socialization mm-hmm. and how to behave with other peers. Yeah. So it's the same with them, you know. And so... Dogs, we know for a fact that dogs do experience a range of emotions, complex emotions. Mm-hmm. We know that they experience frustration, for example. <laughs> yeah. So I'm careful not to use the words leash aggression because it's not always aggression. Yeah. That's like saying every hyper kid has ADHD. It's exactly. Like, it's, it's more subtle than that. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's nuanced. It's nuanced. Case by case situations yeah. and context. context. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, important. So important. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I, I I like to do this service, yes, for their enrichment, yes, for their growth, their socialization, all of these things. And yes, the cues, of course. The cues are mostly fun games it's not i i I don't care you can't take it too seriously if (laughs) if we like stop at a stoplight and you sit every time that's not my criteria Hmm. my criteria right now is that we have a great walk so um but but part of the reason for it is so that the human can have firm boundaries Hmm. That they don't get to jump all over their guests when they walk in. That they they know that their dog's enrichment needs and socialization needs were met. So they don't have to think, oh, I feel so guilty. I feel so bad. He didn't get to play. You know, so I just relax all of my boundaries and let my dog kind of run my life. And yeah. that's honestly, 
the dog doesn't want that. That's stressful. It's like a, it's like giving a child too much responsibilities too quickly. It's actually really stressful. Yeah. You know, and I know that there's this debate right now with parenting about giving your child options. People are like, well, let them make let them make inconsequential decisions. Would you like to wear the red shirt or the blue shirt? Um, and then there's this other wave of thought that says it's stressful for children to make these decisions early on and to have too many options, you know, the paralysis of analysis, like, yeah. So it's a balance again, you know, there aren't these hard lines, these, these rules, this isn't real. This is not practical. This is, this is, uh, a branch that doesn't know how to sway, it's going to break it. You know, you have to have some leeway, Mm -hmm. but that leeway should be based off of our understanding of where they're at, what their context of their day is like, um, and the context of the the culture we're in. Um, but I just think, I just think it's so important to, just really consider you know um the fact that we have this like dog guilt and how it changes our boundaries so i I do think you know i'm a big advocate of using a crate for example you know um because everybody needs a space that's theirs yeah you know this guy's crate trained and he he loves it so i i I enjoy watching him nestle into a space. We don't have the crate anymore because mm-hmm. I, mo- I was moving a lot and I haven't replaced it since settling. <laughs> sure. But uh, when I build him like a little cozy space, I-, I love watching him get nestled in there and feel safe. And Yeah, yeah it's so his den. Hey there, it's me, Anthony. I just thought I'd take a moment to plug this show. It's not an external advertisement. It's literally an advertisement for the show you are listening to. We've got some great past episodes, so if you haven't listened to them, go back and check them out. Like and subscribe, rate and review, all those good things. Share it with a friend. I'd love to have your support and really think that you will enjoy some of our other episodes, so please do go check them out if you've got a chance. Thank you so much. Now, back to this episode. What about those boundaries and, and kind of all those last things that you were you were talking about right now? Um, I wanted to mention that in the philosophy section on your website, which is cool that you have that. Um, you say, I think you started off with, or in summary, training should be fun and boundaries should be clear. And yes. I really love that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the fun part about it, I think. Yeah. I mean, in my life, I'm trying to not take myself too seriously, but also know where my boundaries are so I can hopefully strike a balance at any given moment. Yes. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I really like that that you bring some philosophy into the, into the discussion. Yeah. I mean, for me, something that works is, is having imagery, you know, because us as humans, we're so visual, um, having imagery of spiritual leaders that I, respect their teachings and their image reminds me of those teachers in my skin. I mean, in, in terms of it being something that's not philosophical, it's not a logical thing that's in my brain, but something that comes into my body and Mm -hmm. I experience, um, and I, I can use these terms here, but I can experience their energy there. If I look at a picture of the Dalai Lama, 
it makes me calm because his teachings and whatever I've seen from him give me that feeling. It's like just a reminder of those things. And so I do like to look at the image of, of leaders that, that I respect um, before I go on a walk. Oh, I like that. Yeah, because it's it's just the, the reminder of, of really in your, in your nervous system. I think uh, the word that's coming to mind is embodiment. That's the word. Embodying the practice, embodying the teachings, embodying yes. the philosophy. Yes. Yeah. I really like that. Yes, and, and carrying it out on your dog walks. Like, yeah. Yeah, because how, what would the Dalai Lama do if the Dalai Lama lived in downtown LA with a dog on a leash yeah. that they rescued, who has a complex history? And that's to say Dalai Lama would be present. Mm-hmm. I, and... You know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't want to overcomplicate it. it. You know, this isn't, yeah, it's just, I think we really got into, I don't know what it was. It was just like a couple of different dog shows or something like that, <laughs> that really like, and, and, you know, they, they gave us an unrealistic expectation of how much work is involved. Mm. Like a lot of people just think it happens in an hour long session. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a practice. It's a lifelong practice. Yeah. I mean, my Duke is 13 years old. He is going deaf and blind. And I'm so glad that I didn't phase out the hand signals. A lot mm-hmm. of trainers advocate for you having a hand signal to go along with the verbal cue. Yeah. Because the dog is going to, I mean, they're the first language is body language right so having the the hand signals very helpful for them um but then they a lot of people say that you should phase that out Interesting. i never phase it out sometimes this guy won't respond to the verbal command if i tell him to come but he wants to go the other way he'll just look at me but if i just go like this with my hand he'll come right over a hundred percent like all right cool (laughs) so yeah i know that's interesting that some people phase them out a lot of people do and i I don't on purpose or they just get lazy and stop using them you think no on purpose oh wow yeah, just because I think that's their criteria, you know. It it just comes down to how much control you need um, and why. Yeah. Like, if, if you need the control because you're in an environment where you need to have that amount of control, I get it. But considering, like, if you live in Manhattan or downtown L.A. or, or anywhere in any city, it doesn't need to be one of these mega cities. Yeah. Um. Their hearing is so fine and so cute. They are picking up everything. And so to use your voice is part of that cacophony. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I just like to keep, I just like to reserve it and use my voice for when I really need it. So I never phased out my hand signals. Um, Partially because I like to use silence as a tool. Um, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I do. I think it's huge. Um, and, and in fact, if I'm putting somebody on a, on a program to reset a, a behavior, yeah. I say, please be silent as much as you can oh, wow. for two to three days. And this is the uh, hardest part. Cause it kind of resets. It resets and it resensitizes them to the sound of your voice. And I also oh, advocate I like that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Having done some, medi- some silent meditation retreats, I'm very much aware of how much more sensitive I am after silence. So right. why wouldn't it be the same way for the dog? I love that so much. Wow. That's great. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and um, if having kept the hand signals um, allows me to continue having a base of silence and have that be my foundation. Yeah. Because if you're talking on your phone while you're on your dog walks, um, your voice is is really background noise. They just yeah. they they tune it out completely. <laughs> and so if I do do a, a behavioral reset, I it's very it, it is the hardest part is to ignore your dog for two to three days. It's one hundred percent the hardest part. Yeah, because they're in our lives. I mean, really, if we're going to be realistic, they're in our lives to give us companionship. And affection. Yeah. And so that's the hardest part. <laughs> and very yeah. few people can do it. <laughs> I bet. But we're not going for perfection, just progress. Um, but uh, so I keep the hand signals and I'm so glad, you know, partially because I like to use silence, but partially because grandpa, my, I mean, Duke's just grandpa now. Like we yeah. just, we just call him grandpa. Like nice. that's his name now. But, um, but now that he's, he's, going deaf um the hand signals are just vital and like i'll i'll call his name and he's off in la la land wow but but if i just do the gesture of my hand come here um he runs over wow he's just you know and and i never stop rewarding either you know people think well, should I phase out treats? I, I don't always want to be working with treats. And I'm like, why? Don't you want to be paid? Don't you want, <laughs> even if it's not pay, even if it's not a, a, you know, a tasty treat, how about affection? How about attention? How about a game? How about a ball? You want and need you need to be paid for work, but you also need your employer to, from time to time, say, you're doing a really good yeah. job and we appreciate you. Yeah, it's so important. And if they cease to do that because they think, oh, well, you're just, like, good at your job and why keep rewarding you? Well, you, they're going to lose you. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's it. That's how that works. <laughs> That's how that works. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. I um I try to reward this guy with I don't take treats on walks anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I just kind of got out of the habit of doing it, not for any particular reason, but sure. I definitely reward him along the way with affection and kind gestures and words and whatnot. And he seems intent on the walk. Like I feel like he kind of like ignores it, but I I, I don't know. I keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he still must notice, right? He you see how much he loves it and needs the affection when we're in the house and when we're out on the walks. He doesn't seem like he needs it, but mm. I think he still. Likes to be told that he's a good boy and <laughs> get little pats and whatnot. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I will say um, a treat is – or a ball. He's pretty ball-motivated, right? Because he, he had his, his toy. He was bucking around. Well, when you guys got here, he was very excited. So he he loves to have something in his mouth when he's running around and doing that. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, if I go out to play with him, he might lose interest in it in a little while. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, initially he'll be excited about a ball, but he'll he'll kind of be quick to to let it go. Right. Yeah. Um, for a little while, when I kind of wanted to regain control on our walks, I would take the kibble portion of his breakfast with us. Great. And just dole that out over the course of the beautiful. walk, and he would we became so much more attentive after doing that a handful of times. That's beautiful. Yeah. 
a lot of people um, are shocked when I say skip breakfast and bring it on the walk. Oh. Um, but deprivation is a tool. So that is to say, if you reserve something and then use it as a payment, as a reinforcer, that is going to be super fun, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> super fun for both of you. Yeah. Um, but it's just going to be really clear about what behaviors you like. Yeah. And for the behaviors that you don't like, there's no sense in punishing. There's no sense in barking or getting upset because any attention is going to feed the behavior. Positive mm. or negative does not matter one bit. Just like kids. Yeah, that's really interesting that you say that. You you pointed out in a couple of different ways in the book, too, that if you're just ignoring them most of the time and then you give them some negative attention, it's still attention. 100%. I thought that was really, that was really interesting to think about. Well, there's attention-seeking behaviors. Mm-hmm. And I've got uh, countless stories of dogs who... My dog's doing this behavior. Like, what can I, for, you know, what can I do about it? It seems counterintuitive to us, but what you can do is ignore that and reward what you do like. Uh. And this goes back to, I mean, this is, you know, this is my passion partially because I'm here on this planet to advocate for the voiceless and for our planet. But it's also really important to me because our society and most societies are run on uh, the behavior is about punishment. Mm -hmm. And so what that looks like is the prison industrial complex being a complete disaster, yeah. a tragedy that isn't working. It's just not working. Just because you put somebody in jail so crazy. does not mean that they're going to suddenly reverse the lifestyle that that necessitated, or in some cases ne necessitated, yeah, absolutely crime. Yeah. Um, but if we if we afforded human beings the same treatment that modern dog training advocates for, yeah we'd have a very different society. Absolutely. If we, yeah. you know, so that is to say, we look at, first of all, we look at their health and wellness, right? They're those, let's say that their nutrition and everything is met there, right? Then we go down the list and we, we look at their environment. We look at their society. So let's say we start enriching their lives. We start giving them toys. Like we start, okay, this is your little space. Now you can have this space to be you and to buck around, whatever it is, right? We, we enrich their space in their lives we give them friends and the right playmates. Not all dogs are good playmates, but, yeah. <laughs> but, um, if we do this, right, then we can select for the behaviors that we like and reinforce those. Mm as opposed to ignoring the positive things that we do and only punishing the negative ones. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the way that that works is it goes into this shame. People move into shame. So mm -hmm. if they aren't doing it right and they get punished for that, there's a, there starts to be a little bit of shame built up yeah. and the shame is 
oh, it's the terror. It's. I just wish we could do away with shame. I, yeah, I, think I read a whole it's... book on shame and guilt. It's, it's so good. I mean, and, and it gets in you from the time you're a kid. Sometimes people just telling you no doesn't matter the context will make you feel ashamed because you add your own story to it. And so we build shame from the time we're very young that requires reflection and healing from <laughs> an adult perspective. And it's so interesting working with psychology and therapy. And <laughs> yes. Yeah, brains are brains are trippy, man. They are. <laughs> and then, yeah, so then working with your dog and having a similar but different psychology and having it reflect back to you. <laughs> it's just it can be it can be a real mess. Yeah, and I'm so grateful for people like you helping us weed it out, sort it out. Yeah, I'm coming through a side street. door on this. I mean, <laughs> I, my my passion has always been wellness, health and wellness for living beings for life itself but shame is the vehicle for addiction yeah so no wonder it's rampant yeah you know if if we selected for the behaviors that we if we rewarded the behaviors doesn't matter how small you start you start it's it seems counterintuitive because we're always accustomed to like you do the work and then you get the reward mm. right and and to some extent, I agree with that. You know, like to some extent, you know, it's it isn't black and white. But when I'm first working with a dog, I want to build trust. So old school ways of of dog training was to be stoic and um, be very rigid and use really harsh tools and methods to punish which creates fear it creates um, distrust between the two of you and while they might behave in those ways while you're around it's just when you're around it's not really changing the behavior yeah, it's it's sense. it's just fear hmm. and we don't i mean i don't want that yeah um, and I don't, I don't want that for other beings. It, and, and also it isn't effective. <laughs> it does not show you what to do. Yeah. And modern dog trainers have known this and animal trainers period know this. This is well established. And yet our society is all punishment. Well, I, could go off on a long tangent about why that is the case. <laughs> right, yeah. But I, I mean, I guess the the point is that we can acknowledge that it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I think it's really important that we model the behavior that we believe in with our animals, with ourselves and our families and our communities, and hopefully continue to push politically and through government. So we have it more institutionally equitable and reasonable and helping people prosper fair. and thrive and fair and loving and considerate versus yeah criminal justice and just stomping people down yeah this dog before i got him he had chewed a coffee table up mm -hmm. because i i wasn't there i don't know but mm -hmm. he's never done anything like that with me you know and i i just I just yeah I just try to enforce the things that 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 I, I love and 
and I love to see him do and, and how I like to see him behave. And he hasn't, he hasn't acted out in ways that he had before I got him. I was kind of worried when I first got him. He did some crazy shit. <laughs> I was like, oh, what do I get myself into? I don't know. But, um, yeah, he's been pretty good. He'll, yeah, if somebody forgets and puts chicken bones in the trash can and doesn't take it out, <laughs> he might knock it over. But <laughs> other than that, he's, sure. he's pretty good. We got the same problem with the one-year-old, you know. <laughs> True. <laughs> he knocks over the trash, too. Can't really, can't really teach him otherwise. What do you think about, um, like, people say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And so, I don't know. I, I, what, I, what do you think about that? I got my own opinions. but Well... If you have a trick dog, (laughs) (laughs) you know, most, well, no, I would say some dogs like learning tricks. Yeah. Some dogs don't. Mm -hmm. It's not about age. It's about ability. You know, my grandpa dog, he's not going to learn to, you know, he's, he's stiff in general. Um, you know, he's 85 pounds. He's greyhound pit whatever mix but um so no i i I think that's not accurate okay (laughs) yeah i think that is not accurate yeah yeah i mean tricks tricks are not something that if that's important to you well not not specifically tricks like shake your hand but also just uh modifying behavior oh that you can do anytime yeah. Uh, no, that's not just that... during the six months or six years, like or the big puppy phase. No, no, it's just that those the, the first six months and and really like four months, um, those that time is just so important because just like us, it it really creates a foundation for the brain. Yeah, and creates a lot of neural pathways. But um, you can modify behavior all the time, anytime. And this, the same principles that apply to modifying a dog's behavior are the same principles that apply to modifying our brain behavior. Um, if, and, I, you know, I was raised with a lot of punishment and very little positive reinforcement. So I had to work through that. And I still have to work through that. Yeah. And it's not something that has a start and a finish. Yeah. This isn't this is a myth. It's a lifetime. Yeah. It is it is from the time your your puppy comes home or comes to you from wherever until the day that they go to the rainbow bridge. <laughs> it's a process. Yeah. And your life circumstances and who comes in and out of your life, these are gonna change. You know, yeah. my boyfriend coming into my life, my dog's behavior completely changed. And, uh. and seeing their relationship changed my relationship with him. Interesting. And, you know, and I think that it's important to consider these things because it's it's to say, this is going to change. Let's not fight the change. We go with the flow. Yeah. And we we move with it. And we can adjust. We can still have strong boundaries, but also be flexible. Yeah. In um, where we're going and how we're going there. So, yeah, that's how I feel about that. I love it. I love <laughs> it. Do you feel? So we don't have to get into your background and your childhood, but um, I know you a little bit personally. So I know, yeah, like you said, you had uh, some difficulties growing up. Do you feel like your path to wellness um 
in all aspects contributes largely to uh, how you do your work with dogs and people today? Absolutely. Is there anything in particular that stands out in your healing journey that that, uh, maybe you hold dear to your heart as you continue to do your work? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because uh, I'm... I'm an avid reader. I, I enjoy reading. I do tend to gravitate towards self-help books just because I don't have a lot of models or positive role models. <laughs> <laughs> That's something that I say all the time. You know, like I, I was shown all the things not to do my entire life, right. even into adulthood <laughs> when but I then got what out of the house. To do what to do, and so that's why for me, finding uh, spiritual teachers that that I. I, I respect and appreciate mm-hmm. and just even reading stories like I'm, I'm getting really into the Ramayana story the mm-hmm. story of Ram and Sita and Hanuman giving me examples of how they love each other show yeah. me new ways of how I can love and what my heart is capable of and have finding these positive examples are so helpful in in my adulthood for learning how to be in the friggin world in a loving way <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get to see all those things growing up yeah so I agree yeah and those the books now are you know my I don't know I mean I I, I consider them my teachers um, as the dogs are my teachers but to me reading reading dog training books and reading self-help books do the same thing for me. Yeah, (laughs) they really do. And there is a book by Karen Pryor. It's called don't shoot the dog, which would probably not be the title now. It's (laughs) not, not PC, but it has a really important meaning and it is one. It's a Bible to me Hmm. and it is not just about dog training. And what I love about her is that she is clear about that. She will give an example of a chicken, she uh, training a chicken, uh, uh-huh. or or, tra- or training your roommate to to clean their dishes, and how to do that <laughs> in a way that is not passive aggressive or uh, manipulative in any way, but just pointing out, just saying, let's say, you know, using this as an example, right? Like training your roommate to wash their dishes. Let's say they do it. They wash one dish. Oh, that was so helpful. Thank you so much for washing that dish. So they got a reinforcer for that. Right. Yeah. Um, or whatever it is, like so. And in, in the context of dogs, um, we start off rewarding any behavior we like. It doesn't. Ha- we have no. If I'm first working with a dog, I will reward. I'm gonna first of all. I'm gonna find out what treat is going to be their sweet spot. Sometimes it's most of the time it's it's a food treat, but sometimes it's a toy. Um, sometimes it's a game. I like to figure out their language of love too, you know? Um, but. Oh, that's so true. Dogs have love languages too. (laughs) Oh yeah. Some dogs like snuggling, some don't. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, so first of all, I will start off by charging. So I use a clicker sometimes, sometimes I, so the clicker is, is a marker, right? You can either call it clicker training or marker training. And the reason why it's called a marker is because you're marking the exact behavior at the exact moment that you want to reinforce because reaching in your pocket or, or even in 
pulling one out of your hand, it takes a split second. And by that time, you might, your dog might be doing something else. So you clicked when to reinforce good behavior. Right. Well... And at what point did they associate the clicking with something positive? Okay. So, well, let me back up. Uh, you're, you're clicking to reinforce a particular behavior. Okay. At first, it's any behavior I like because I'm charging the, the clicker. So what is that's to say I will, I will click and treat, click and treat, uh. click and treat. I don't require any behavior for that. You don't have to do anything. It's good you old just Pavlovian right. connection. <laughs> right. We're just creating the association. Okay. So, I mean, I'm not going to click and treat if they're jumping on me or barking at me. But if they're just standing there or wiggling or whatever, yeah. that's great. Let's charge this up. <laughs> so it's just creating that association that the clicker means a treat is coming. Yeah. And it has to be every time. That has to be a reliable thing. So it doesn't have to be the clicker. You can say a marker can also be the word yes. So you say yes, treat. Yes, treat. So you're just charging that word. Sometimes people use good boy, good girl. Problem with that is that we're using it at every corner and everything um, for everything. Right. And it also doesn't always mean that a reward is coming. Mm -hmm. So good boy, good girl, believe it or not, is not a reward unto itself. Um, Duly noted. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. I find very few dogs are going to be consistently reinforced with that alone. Mm-hmm. Good boy, good girls. Fine. I'm not saying don't use it. I use it all the time. It's great. You know, it's, I, but I consider it a fun thing. I don't yeah. consider it part of the training plan. Okay. Yeah. So my dog kind of perks up and wags his tail when I say good boy sometimes. Right. And that's but because I, the association is there. Mm-hmm. But that's probably not, or probably, I don't know. So what would you say about using that as a, a positive reinforcement? Well, is I would say... a little say, too casual? No, it, it just doesn't, it's not going to be a strong reinforcer. Ah, uh, yeah. So it, again, goes back to what is your criteria? What are you looking for? So let's, I mean, he's a super smart dog. We could train him to do a lot of things and he would yeah. love it. He's the type of dog that's like, yes, I want to learn. I want to go to kindergarten. I want to go to first grade, yeah. second grade. I'm going to be like top of my class. He wants, he's eager to learn. Not all dogs are like that. Some dogs, just like humans, aren't classroom dogs. Like they don't, they don't <laughs> like that strict regimen. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. And I'm um, that myself so so i get it i definitely have compassion but and that's why you know also recall is is a whole other topic but but um but with him good boy is great it's it is attention it is reinforcing but it isn't a strong reinforcer it it also isn't telling him the specific behavior that you're gonna give reinforcement for Mm -hmm. so as an exercise, I would say tomorrow, skip breakfast, bring the kibble with you on, on the walk, start the walk going, yes, treat, yes, treat. You just need to do it three or four times. Then when you're walking, let's say he looks at you, yes, treat. The thing is, you have to, you have to deliver the treat. When you say the word, mm. otherwise it's going to lose its meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but 
not only is it just helpful for building positive behavior, um, it's fun and it's a bonding exercise. Yeah. And that that's ultimately like what they're doing it all for. Yeah. <laughs> Their highest level of existence in this life is to be our companions. That's all they want. They just want to be by our side, helping us, doing what's needed filling in yeah <laughs> so <laughs> he definitely takes his job very seriously yeah very protective <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's funny to watch such a curious dog <laughs> he's good so much fun uh, so um you, you do it all, a lot of dog walking i imagine i do a dog hiking dog hiking do you also exercise additionally or do you count that as your, I do. your main you do yeah that's stuff? a good question actually I I think it's really important to be physically capable of holding your ground. Mm-hmm. So what that means is, so I do aerial yoga and like I've gotten really into You've been doing aerial? silks, aerial, aerial, aerial silks? silks. Yes, I've watched a couple of your little oh, uh, so fun. stories. Oh my goodness! Oh, I've never I've never had upper body strength like I have right now. Wow. It's it's fun. I. I Never had shoulders before, <laughs> nice. but, um, but I do it because of the core strength. Okay. You know, I'm five, four mm-hmm. petite, you know, um, but now, and I was always petite, um, which meant when I was walking dogs in downtown LA and let's say I, I had a 70 pound shepherd two yeah. years old. Yeah. Um, Yes, you know, the, the preliminary work of, of charging the clicker, charging the reinforcer, and making sure that I'm paying attention enough to reinforce the positive things, like checking in with me and being with me, keeping the focus on me, um, as opposed to all the other dogs. Mm-hmm. That's that's the most important thing. You mean the other, the other dogs that you're walking or on the street? Both. Both. Mm-hmm. But so, so even mostly with- the, the other dogs on the street. Okay. When you are walking a pack of dogs, mm-hmm. do you want each dog to also be extremely attentive to you as well as the pack? Are you working on that as Well, I I want the cue so the dog is going to see the other dog. If they check in with me, that's going to get reinforced. Mm. Because what I want on a walk is for those stimuli, the the stimuli that could be threatening or excitable all of those things i want those to be the cues to look at me interesting right Mm. so uh i keep you know this is important this is the preliminary stuff and this is the training of the human however i do think it's really important to have a strong core a physical strong core and that doesn't mean being like looking a certain way that doesn't has nothing to do with the way you look It, it just means I, your center of gravity, like let's, God forbid, you know, your dog does see another dog, does lunge out, does do the whole barking thing. Once that's happening, forget about your training. This is management now. Yeah. Don't, don't say anything. Anything you do in that moment is going to reinforce it. If you just, and a lot of times people are like barking at their dog. No, no, no. Well, a that's reinforcing the behavior. And B, you're only, I mean, let's be honest, like, you're only doing that because you, 
just want are to kind assert, of like, asserting control. You're asserting control, and you're you're also communicating to the humans around that you're doing something about oh, it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like I've had people say to me, "Well, you're not even doing anything." I am doing something. I've got them close by my side, and I'm walking away. That's it. That's mm. all I'm gonna do right now. Yeah. And the reason is because if I do, if I yell at them, bark at them, you know, try and reprimand them, this is only gonna reinforce it. It just elevates the situation in general. It elevates the situation. Creates wow. more stress yeah. too. For everybody. <laughs> For everybody. Yeah. But we're gonna raise our dogs the way we were raised. Uh. <laughs> it's just gonna happen. Break the cycle. <laughs> <laughs> so. Keeping yeah. that mindfulness in there is crucial. But, but yeah, I, I do do uh, the aerial stuff and ballet bar and yoga and stuff. Um, ballet bar? I do ballet bar, What's yeah. ballet bar? Oh, it's just, you know, fitness trend. It's just, right. it's just like doing <laughs> I'm ballet. Always, I'm always late to the game, so you have to <laughs> it's, school me. It's, it's just a lot of strength and conditioning stuff. Cool. Yeah, because I do, I do like, so I, and I also like to have um, a leash that is hands-free. So it's like a, it's a oh, belt. Oh. Yeah. It's a belt that there's, and there's different ones. And sometimes I just want to create my own because I'm not happy with any of them. Like yeah, I, I will have amazing several products get made sometimes. <laughs> right. Like I, I will carry sometimes two leashes on a walk for different things for different yeah. types of walks. Right. There's, there's the sniff walk, which is great. Like you dictate what you want to sniff, what you want to pee on. That's great. Go for it. Uh, Collecting data, that's their favorite thing. It's like yeah. collecting the data, like who's around, what's happening, what animals have been here. That's a great source of enrichment for them. But also getting their heart rate up and getting some cardio is super important, right? Mm -hmm. So like I want a six-foot thin light leash uh, when they're doing a sniff walk and when they're, you know, going about their business. Yeah. But for going straight ahead and getting some cardio in, I like to have a shorter lead, Absolutely. and I like that to be attached to my center of gravity. I don't want that to be on my arm because if they if they are allowed if, if if the range of motion is such that they can lunge out, even if it's an, even if it's a foot, a few inches, they're gonna take it. That's reinforcing. Yeah. To continue doing that. That's so interesting. So I'll keep a fixed leash attached to my waist, my center of gravity. And that way, it's like your dog is going to behave differently if they're attached to your arm, which can flail around and mm -hmm. they can pull it versus a pull. They know very quickly that your arm gives, the pull doesn't. Yeah. Wow. I'm so curious to go try out different things with them now. Yeah. yeah I'll also take different leashes if I'm, well, I, like one thing in your book, you say like the retractable leashes are bad for downtown busy areas. Mm -hmm. But if you live in a place with wider spaces to roam, it can be fine. That's been my experience too. If I'm going yeah. to a crowded place, I'll bring one of those sh short uh, static leashes. Mm -hmm. But cruising around the suburbs in the park, he's always on like the retractable leash. Great. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely, he responds differently too when he has that. Mm -hmm. And then, and I, I usually use the shorter one when we do pack walks. Sometimes I'll watch my mom's dog or different people's dogs, and he he behaves so differently when there's another dog. Like mm -hmm. we were just cruising together, and he's yeah, he, mm. he, he's he's a lot more manageable when there's another another dog around. It's interesting, but mm. yeah, the I'm like so when you, I imagine you have better control over your dogs from uh pulling than i do with this guy but you know he's like 100 pounds and i feel like if i had him attached to my waist 
And if I wasn't paying attention for one second and he bolted after a squirrel, I need a hip replacement or something. Really? Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he's, I, I, he doesn't pull me down because I'm attentive. So when he's about, I see his ears change before his body even moves. So I'm able to relax him or do whatever I need to do to quell the situation. But I'd, I'd be kind of scared to walk him from the hip. Do you ever have any, any jostling that's a little, a little abrasive for you when you do that? I've, it's just, it's yielded better results for me personally and everybody's different. Yeah. I don't, I do not think that my way is everybody's way because yeah. we have different anatomy um, and just we're different. But I've pulled my shoulder out. I mean, you know, I used to have a chronic right my dominant arm, right arm, chronic shoulder pain and elbow pain because I was constantly the the, the lunging because I was yeah. a dog walker in downtown yeah. LA for a decade, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um. So having it on my waist is it just it has for me just been really helpful in having them learn. Okay, this is far less movable range for me to continue the pulling but i commend you for for considering you can see before he's going to do something based off of his ears and his body language what he's looking at and that's why you know the mindfulness is the foundation it, you know if yeah. you don't have that you don't have much because then you're reacting to the situation when you could have prevented it yes <laughs> yeah precisely and then you're constantly just struggling to keep up instead of enjoying yourself precisely <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I, I think I'd like to to try one of these these belt type leashes. Maybe I need to affix it to a vest or something so it's mounted more dispersed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, I I'd like to experiment with some some different ways of of roaming about with this guy. Yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> I've fun. I've tried I've tried fancy ones. I've tried expensive ones. I've tried. Long ones, short ones, skinny ones, bungee ones. I've tried them all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I just like simple. Mm -hmm. I like a simple five-eighths of an inch wide, uh, <laughs> either six feet or four feet, depending on what kind of walk we're on. Mm -hmm. uh, leather's good, too, but, you know, nylon works great, and it's uh, $2.87 on dog.com or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's not about the tools, you know, there's, there's just such a big industry of selling us all these of like course. tools, tools, yeah. tools, tools, and fancy leashes. And the bungees are just such a, a, I just don't, I don't like bungee. I don't like bungee. That's my thing. That's definitely like not a clear bungee. boundary. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, a little squishy. <laughs> and I see why people like them. They want, they consider, you know, is this painful for my dog to, to be on a, a fixed leash if they do jump out but mm. it's like um let's consider their equipment you know what are they on yeah are, are we attached to the flat collar do are, do you have some kind of other type of collar are they on a harness how old are they yeah. the the harness can be a big challenge to leash pulling um easy walker clips in the front mm -hmm. this is great are they on a gentle leader, which goes around the muzzle, um, which is awesome. I love this tool. It's the least favorite for the dogs. Yeah. They hate them. <laughs> um, 
but and it, and it does require some training of the human to use but but yeah. yeah all of these things are important considerations yeah that's so much work on the part of the human <laughs> i yeah, know I've, I've taken up a couple of different endeavors from time to time but it's like man uh, i i can't be consistent with it today so i guess we're not going to do this <laughs> right. like i just don't have time for it today so it's out the window right. and you got to be consistent with it man right it's such a crazy thing oh my goodness um so uh, before we started chatting, you said that going around the world, so both of us are, are backpackers. We've been to some different places. <laughs> um, you said you experienced a lot of uh, d- different types of dog uh, environments and dog behaviors and, and whatnot. I was wondering if you had anything interesting from your travels that you might want to share with us about dogs. Mm. Yeah. Um, dog culture varies dog culture. World wo- wo- worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've traveled South America extensively several times. Um, and you're part or full Brazilian? You're part yeah, Brazilian? my father's Brazilian. Um, so yes, I've, I've lived in the South of Brazil. I've traveled Brazil a lot and our relationships with dogs, um, is just different based on the country we grew up in. Yeah. So I also spent some time uh, traveling in Mongolia. Yeah. And this was one of the highlights of my life and potentially one of the most, I mean, for lack of a better word, most spiritual trips Hmm. I've ever taken, Um, particularly because Mongolia as a culture, um, their totem is the wolf. Ah. And they culturally have a very historic, long, deep, affectionate relationship with canine. Interesting. And they have such a respect for wolves. It's such a real part of their lives. Um, And I have had some really interesting experiences there with that. But, um, But I loved that. And, you know, I've... I spent six months living in Argentina and in Buenos Aires and there's a really cool dog walking community there, um, which was awesome. And I was the creepy dude who (laughs) was like following dog walkers, like, Oh my God, this is so rad. Um, cause it's fascinating to me, you know? Um, and even city by city, the culture is very different. Yeah. LA versus San Francisco. You know, San Francisco's very dog friendly. Mm. Um, oh yeah, you mentioned that in the book. There's just parks everywhere. Uh, you were comparing it to the difficulty of downtown LA. Yeah, parks everywhere, lots of space. Everybody's totally comfortable with. I mean, I and there's already human true. shit everywhere, so nobody notices when your dog poops. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> just yeah, yeah. That's a bad joke. Bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it's, but it's interesting. Like we're, you know, in Southern California, I think maybe potentially because it's it's just more dense. I mean, obviously the Bay is, is urban dense, but, but it's just not the same. Yeah. You know, here we just, in LA anyway, we're really crammed in. It's pretty, pretty confining. Yeah. If if you're four legged. The downtown area that that your book primarily focuses on. It's, it's intense. It is intense. It's intense. It's but it's it's oh, man. It's such a weird place. I 
I've never experienced the community of my neighborhood anywhere else uh, as uh, wonderfully as I did when I was living in downtown LA. Same. Like, I mean, it's got its downsides of just, you know, everybody and sometimes you don't want to see everybody. <laughs> yeah. But by and large, it's amazing to just bump into the people that you know and love everywhere you go. Like, holy yeah. shit. Like it was, it was such an amazing time for me while I lived there. And I feel like as you express eloquently in your book and <laughs> that, you know, it having a dog just adds to that in so many ways, mm. both good and challenging. Right. <laughs> yeah. It just, it, it, it brings more to the table. And so it's a greater opportunity to, to indulge in that community and have more socialization and love and enjoyment and fun. Absolutely. But you have to do so in a responsible way to make sure that the dog is, and you are being well taken care of and the neighborhood too. I like that you point out in the book too, you know, it's, it's for dog walker. It's for dogs. It's for people. And it's for people who don't have dogs who also live here. Like it's, right. it's not just about the people who have the dogs. We're all part of the community. Yeah. And how we all individually act affects how we all experience the community. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And dogs, for if you, if you like it or hate it, they're a part of our community. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they don't have human rights, but they, they're not voting. But they're a part of our culture. Yeah. Whether you like it or not. So we're going to have to talk about it. We're yeah. going to have to figure it out together. Yeah. And be tolerant, you know. Something I don't experience in the cities that I dwell in in America is as, as many stray dogs as when I go travel. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. been kind of fun for me. One time uh, I was in Dharamsala in the foothills of the Himalayas and we did a day hike to the snow line where the snow starts starts mm -hmm. hitting. And we had a pack of dogs follow us. It was three humans and like wow. six or seven dogs that just awesome. like followed us the whole way up. Of course, you know, they know to do that to get the food from the tourists and sure. everything. But it was still so much fun to have this pack of essentially i mean i guess they're wild they're street dogs right so yeah. they're more wild than this guy yeah but oh, they were still super cool and they could still totally communicate and get along and it's beautiful yeah it's it's interesting i saw yeah while there i saw a monk kick a dog i was like what the what <laughs> you're a monk what are you doing <laughs> wow. yeah it just yeah it's interesting. so interesting to see different communities interact with dogs in different ways uh -huh. yeah yeah, and even us being next door to Mexico, uh, we have a very different dog culture. And it's also class. Like, if if you're, uh, yeah, I mean, it just depends on your means and your resources as well. How much do you have to give to your dog? How much time do you have to give to your dog? These things yeah. are huge considerations. And, and what were you taught about how to treat dogs, I think, too? I mean, for some people, it seems to come naturally. Mm -hmm. But other people, you know, I grew up watching, you know, my parents keep the dog outside and feeding him leftover rice. And so that's how what I do with my dog. I've seen that happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it's that, too. It's, it's so complicated. <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, just as a <coughs> side note, you know, just because you might have money doesn't necessarily mean that you're giving your dog a better life. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> like the street dogs, you know, that, that live on the street with their owners seem to be very well behaved. Mm. I have always found that fascinating that in downtown LA or in upper hate or, you know, wherever it might be that the backpackers who are traveling with their dogs and living on the street um those dogs seem zen out 
they are just chill. Like, even if it's a six-month-old puppy, it's just mm. zen. <laughs> you know, and it's partially having the constant stimuli. Yeah. Not being bored. Um, and being totally desensitized to the sounds of the street, people yeah. passing, all of that. But, you know, the, the pitfall I've seen with people with money is they think that they can just throw money at the situation and that's not the case you no. gotta spend time yeah yeah just just like kids you can't just give them rolls royces and expect good behavior you know you gotta spend the time yeah <laughs> and the bonding <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah uh you mentioning kids makes me uh think of something i wanted to ask you about uh earlier when you were talking about um that woman who wrote the book and gave mul a multitude of examples mm -hmm. It made me think of, wow, yeah, some of those things are also, I get like, I, I live with the kids here. So it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, that that's good parenting skills right there, too. Like, mm. Just some of these ways that we, that are universal applications for for working with people and communicating. It's, yeah, it's it's super interesting. Did did you read that book before you wrote this one? Mm. Is that sort of something that came into your awareness mm. more recently? I read it while I was writing it because... It had always been on my list of books to read and blah, blah, blah. And then when I was writing, I was just, I wanted to, I wanted to be accurate. I wanted to cross-reference. And a lot of times it's just an affirmation of what yeah. I know already innately know. But, yeah. or it gives you the, the verbiage to communicate this to the clients. Um, but it's just become my Bible. I've read it twice now because... And now I just reference it. Like, mm. it's just a really, it's it's a good read. She's a good writer. Yeah. She's got several books. But Don't Shoot the Dog is the yeah. best. That's great. And I, I, you know, my friends who have kids, I, I'll buy it for them as oh. a gift. Because I'm like. <laughs> oh, I guess so. We had, yeah, we had the same thought then. That it's a good good parenting oh, tools yeah. and tips. Like, and just ideas to try. Sometimes you got to try something new. and Right, the formula of, of, of management and then so that you can reward the mm. behaviors that you want to see more of. Yeah. So So interesting. Yeah, I thought you gave some great examples. You have, you know, you're it's a pleasant read to go through this book. Uh, you know, jumping around or cover to cover like um you cuz there's different kinds of things in there. You're given straight talking tips or fun examples of real dogs you know and it's it's it, uh, so much fun to read it and then you've got well i mean i'm a little partial because my dog is one of the dogs that's illustrated in here so i love it that much more but it's you know i also love getting to see your the, the pictures of your pooches here on the back because i also know them personally and so it's very yeah. very endearing to see all the all the the, the pictures of the dogs throughout it yep. <laughs> such a fun read yeah. yeah. It was a community effort. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got some endorsements here. DTLA Vets and the Pussy and Pooch um, Pet Supplies. That's pet Supplies and Grooming. And Grooming. Mm -hmm. And a few others on here. So yeah, the, the community came out to support you. Definitely. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah, I, I know you had a big uh, book release party I wasn't able to make it to. It's pretty fun. <laughs> That's fun. Doggy dance party. Doggy dance party. <laughs> How Complete it, with the DJ. Nice. <laughs> how did it feel to to uh, solidify your network in such a substantial way through like a, a physical book? Oh, that was a big. That was a big. Uh, it was so vulnerable, but yeah. yeah, it was very vulnerable to put this out into the world. 
But, I'm terrified to have people read what I write, oh. even if I write like a little silly poem for fun. Like, like. Oh yeah. Do you yeah. like me? <laughs> Am I good? <laughs> Tell me I'm good. Oh, <laughs> we're so yeah. sweet. We need reinforcers. Yeah, con- constant reinforcement. <laughs> constant reinforcement. Until I say, screw it, this is my art, love it or leave it. <laughs> yeah. But seriously, do you like it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so weird. Such a back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> but even Maya Angelou said, she, she, of course she writes for other people. Yeah. That's what she said. And I, I appreciated she said that because, you know, like, I don't know even where I heard this or where this came into my consciousness, but it came in there a lot of times where I was like, oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't write for other people. You shouldn't create for other people. And that's actually bullshit because we are here together. We're creating this experience together. We're we're on a trajectory with our lives and it is not a solitary endeavor. Mm. We are pack animals and we shall embrace that like it or not because it, it it is the way it is. So, of course, I definitely write for other people. And it's scary. Yeah. It was very <laughs> scary putting it out into the world. Um, I, have you done any public display of writing before you, you put this out? No. No? No, this was it. Nothing published, nothing. I mean, I'd always been a writer, but I never... I know I, you're a pro- prolific journaler. And <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I'm a journaler. Yeah, so I, I know you've been writing, but I know I don't recall ever seeing like a blog or anything. So mm, yeah, I have like them, but they're private. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I keep, I keep them locked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's like everything else. It's a balance, right? So yeah, you're writing for other people, but damn, you're going to be true to your heart, which this book absolutely is. And yeah, so I'm trying to, trying to also figure that out as I find my voice, which this podcast is an expression of Beautiful. how do I want to be do I want to just completely say what I want to say or do I want to also you know have a little consideration what I think some people might want to hear and so yeah I'm also trying to to strike a balance and mm-hmm. a little more a little bit less from time to time just as long as I'm having fun and not taking it too seriously I think yeah and I'll be all right yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to be respectful of your time uh, I think you have a, uh, about a half hour before you're supposed to be at your your appointment. So yeah. I thought maybe we'd start winding it down about now. It seems Sounds about good. right to you. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you wanted to share or any other shout outs you wanted to give to uh, any people here in L.A. or New York uh, before we start winding it down? There's one thing I want to say. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine, um, her name is Claire, and she... Um, recently had her dog stolen. And so we're putting out a search right now. It's a big effort to find him. Dog's name is Soybean. Mm-hmm. Hashtag is let's find Soybean. He was taken in Silver Lake, California. They've had some leads of him potentially being uh, living with some homeless people. Um, there's a $5,000 reward. No questions asked. Okay. And I, my heart is with her, and I just hope. So the dog is um, senior, missing an eye, and is deaf, and is on medication. So we're just all fingers crossed, all prayers out. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the one thing I really want to push right now. All right, <laughs> have to find that guy. Yeah, I saw the I saw their posts online. Got some some flyers up and made. And... Christmas is 
hard for them and yeah. I just I yeah let's let's find soybean let's find soybean let's find soybean yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah so to just put it out there also so you have your services for city strut in Los Angeles and New York mm-hmm. and you do walking exercise training boarding training for humans via Skype mm-hmm. <laughs> any yeah. other uh, services you want people to know about well um I'm putting together some workshops for kids to, to learn dog behavior and nice. dog body language. I love that. And and how to first read body, body language and know how to act accordingly so that dogs and children can trust one another. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a contentious tricky. relationship sometimes. So. It is. It is. They're both learning and <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. Yeah. We like, we have that one and a half year old baby here. And so, and he's got two very different dogs in his life. So mm-hmm. it, like I said, with the pushing, like the toys and stuff, like one dog loves to be chased. One dog does not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't feed either one of them though. <laughs> <laughs> we try to reinforce that one above all the other things. Yeah. Jeez. We finally got the six year old to stop. Now we've got the one and a half year old to go. <laughs> it's so much wild. fun. Oh my goodness. Yeah. All right. So if you don't mind, I'd love to ask you a, a couple questions before we close it out, just sure. for the fun of it. You can answer, pass, or whatever you'd like. Um, so this show is a flair for the curious. I am so curious about you. I'm so happy to have you here and get to learn more about you and your life and your dogs. But I was wondering if there's something that you are curious to learn more about in mm. general or specific. What are you curious about these days? I'm always curious about language. Ooh. Oh, I love language. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, Do you speak Portuguese? Yeah, I speak. Well, I speak Portunhol, which is to say I speak a mix of Spanish and Portuguese. Okay. Because I can't help it. I, I spent, I have spent so much time in Mexico, but also in South America, mm-hmm. which for the vast majority is Spanish speaking, but then yeah. obviously I'm, I've got the Brazilian heritage too. So I speak Portunol. Yeah. Nice. But, um, I just love language because, uh, any chance and opportunity to create a bigger human pack is mm. a win for my soul. So it's such a bonding experience when you can share words in a common language. Like, as mm. you know, as a traveler, if you just, you know, use a couple of like simple words in an exchange, people light up and it's all of a huge. sudden you're bonded and now you're going to dinner <laughs> yes. and you still don't speak a lick of the same language. <laughs> and you don't even, it's, so you, it's funny, right? Because you actually, you don't need the language to communicate because mm-hmm. we can communicate so much with body language and yeah. gestures, but but yes, being able to to speak, um, to to connect on somebody's level, and and also show the respect for their culture, yeah, is huge. Yeah, and yeah. Break, the boundaries come down, and and we're connecting heart to heart. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's also amazing. yes, and it's also such a great um, exercise for the brain. Yeah, tremendous. Is there any particular language that you're working on right now or thinking about? Gush. Um, watching films in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm right now. Um, I'm fallen a little bit, but Spanish is always Spanish is always the one that I get to use the most. Yeah. So that one has the strongest um, ability at the moment. But but nice. yeah, I'm, I'm I mean I'm always just 
if I watch something in French, I'll watch it twice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I just, I'm just hungry for language. Mm, that's so great. Yeah. yeah. I wish we had more time. I'd love to talk to you about it. I've, I'm doing a TESOL program teaching English to speakers of other languages. So mm. I'm, I took a linguistics course and structure oh. of modern English. Mm. Um, and just learning more about language in general. I took a Mandarin course. Oh, good. I'm doing Sanskrit and Hindi right now. Ah. Uh. Which have a lot of cognates into English, uh-huh. like igneous rock is like lava hot, uh-huh. and then Agni is the god of fire. Uh-huh. <laughs> like all these cognates of like proto-Indo-European and Indo-European languages that trickle out and disperse themselves around the world, and we have we have common words, and it's uh-huh. it's connected me more to my humanness. Yes. To learn about the history of language and its use. And even mm. studying English and how it got to be so fucked up and <laughs> inconsistent now. And that wasn't always the case. And mm. I could go on. <laughs> but I'll stop there. <laughs> I love languages too. Cool. Um, so I'm really glad that you answered that. That's great. Have you had a curious experience? Like strange. So sometimes curious means, oh, that's weird. right? No, that's curious. Right? Mm. Have you had a curious or unexplainable or strange experience ever happening? Many. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I know you do some kundalini yoga. True, so I'm true. sure you had some wild, bizarre shakti permeating your, your physical body. But yeah, is there anything particular jumping out at you right now? Any angels on your shoulder this moment you'd like to speak of um <laughs> uh, well um because it's new year's time mm-hmm. we're entering a new decade 2020 um, <laughs> i will share this one uh kundalini experience that i had that was pretty profound uh i would say it was three or four years ago probably four years ago by now um so my best friend is also named bonnie mm-hmm um, which is kind of mystical unto itself because we also each have a sister named Angie. So, um, and she's the one, she's the one that I traveled Mongolia with. Um, but, um, but anyway, about four years ago, New Year's Eve, instead of doing the expensive party with the big lines and high expectations and low delivery, we decided to do something different. So we went to San Francisco and we took a two hour long uh, Kundalini workshop. Okay. Grew high as fuck. Yeah. From our breath alone. That'll do it. <laughs> and walked out of there, went to this acute, this really adorable, weird, kitschy little uh, sours. It's like a, it's a beer beer and wine but they specialize in sours okay anyway we went there because it was new year's and we were gonna have a toast and um we decided then and there that we were gonna move to san francisco and or i decided that bonnie (laughs) jumped on the bandwagon later but um funny thing you know it's not easy to find a housing in sf yeah especially in sf proper Mm -hmm. well within that year we found a place directly across the street that was just pure magic so it felt it felt like magic it felt it felt like there was there was a strong intention that was placed there and it was a seed that grew a physical manifestation yeah so yeah i mean i i'm i'm always down for the mystical and so i think the mystical's down for me yeah the universe (laughs) meets you and some so if you put it out there imagination intention seeds 
that shit ripens. So I've learned it a little bit the hard way. You gotta, I gotta be careful what I'm putting out there because it will come back tenfold. And mm. sometimes I haven't been always so clear with what I'm wanting. Mm. And so it comes back the way I put it out. I'm like, oh, that's not what I wanted. Oh, nope. Better reevaluate those intentions. Right. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. So I'm all about it. I, I'm glad that you said that. Um, as I consider my future studies, I'm thinking like, if I want to continue doing grad school, like, I think I was thinking, you know, com- comparative religion or anthropology of religion. I'm, I'm really like, oh, it's, it's comparative mysticism that I'm interested in. Mm. Uh, yeah. I'm interested in all the religions, but mm. the mystical parts, which isn't to say the mystery, it's to say that which connects us to whatever the fuck is going on here that is beyond verbal communication. It's it's into mm. the mystery of existence and being and consciousness. And there's a thread everywhere. It's, it's uh, yeah, yeah. So I love it. So one of the programs uh, I'm, I'm looking into incorporates some comparative mysticism. So mm. we'll see how that turns out. Exciting. <laughs> but it's fun to be part of your mystical community. I, I feel like you and I are, are both uh, mystically inclined. I, I don't know if you remember this, but so I I had knew you for a little bit, but when I, I first knew we were going to be friends, we were in a group of people, maybe five or six of us. It was in downtown LA. We were coming back from, I think maybe it was one of the after hours clubs or maybe it was just a, a late night thing. And we were walking across town to one of the apartments and you were like, oh, I'm going to take my shoes off. And I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. I need to do that. And I copied you. We were walking barefoot and I stopped and I just turned to you and I was like, are you a Pisces? <laughs> like I just had this this feeling like I was connected to you in some way and I asked you and you're like, yes, yes I am. It's like, all right, <laughs> like, we're going to be friends. <laughs> you weirdo. I love it. <laughs> walking you barefoot through weirdo. downtown LA. Who does that? But it was exactly what I needed in that moment. Yeah, that's that would be brave as shit right now. I, I probably wouldn't do that now, but yeah, at the time, it was a different downtown, too. I was also probably inebriated and not really thinking about the safety of the matter. Same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> these days, I would probably still do it, but for different reasons and with sure. far more mindfulness in each step. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Enough said there. All right. So la- last thing I'd like to close with... Um, can you name a time when you've experienced profound beauty? That's tough for me because... Oh, that's tough because there's so much beauty. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm easily... I'm easily touched by kindness and the significance of recognizing one another's humanity. Um, But at the moment, um, the gratitude that I feel for my clients, um, the community that we share, and the trust that they afford me Mm. into their lives is is such an honor um it it just feels it's just it it, every day it's it is my it it isn't even my practice it's just an outpouring of my heart of Mm -hmm. of gratitude um because it's so intimate yeah and so um i'm i'm definitely on this planet to to get in and, and to get into one another's hearts and 
and be bold and brave and vulnerable. So I appreciate the the trust. Yeah. <laughs> my hand over my heart. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Um Yeah, it's been it's been moving for me to see you move through the world. Um I respect you so much. Uh I'm so humbled by your your boldness and your endeavors and your humility and and your vulnerability. Like that's a big one. That's a big one. And to, yeah, you have just such a, an amazing combination of all those things. And uh, I think, holy shit, right? Like if, if you get to do the thing you love and then you get that, that kind of feedback and that kind of outpouring and that kind of connection to the dogs and the people and yourself and the greater community, like, wow. Like I, I'm, in, I'm in awe of the, the life that you've created for yourself. And I'm just so happy to know you and, and be a part of it and glad you wanted to come hang out on your short visit to LA here and chit chat with me about about dogs and life and, yeah. and this has been super cool yeah yeah likewise thank you yeah all right let's go ahead and close it out Bonnie okay Anthony move on with our day our dogs <laughs> <laughs> Los Angeles thanks for being a part of our show of course and we'll close it out here thanks for listening everybody thank you peace <laughs> Bye. All right, thanks for listening all the way until the end of the episode. You can find Bonnie Diaz at bonniediaz.com, B O N N I E D I A S.com. Or at a flare for the curious.com, we'll have all the links you will need. If you're so inclined, I definitely recommend you go check out Bonnie's book, The DTLA Dog, the canine handbook for downtown LA. It's available on Amazon, and uh, again, there will be a link. I'd like to also offer a follow up on the call to action that Bonnie gave us to look for Soybean, the little dog in uh, the Echo Park area. So he was actually found since this episode was recorded back on uh, December 27th. And uh, he was wandering in an alley, lost, and uh, they they called and, and got him reunited with his owners. The people who found him did not want to accept the $5,000 reward, so the owners donated it to local animal shelters. So that was pretty cool. Uh, they found the dog and, you know, some money went to charity. So that, that's pretty great. Now, I invite you to chime in to the conversation about any of the things we talked about. Uh, some feedback that I get from people sometimes is that they wish they could speak to us uh, mid-conversation. So if you felt like chiming in, uh, I definitely invite you to participate by offering your feedback either on social media. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook and uh, Twitter or send me an email at aflareforthecurious at gmail.com. Again, uh, I invite you to uh, follow Bonnie and the DTLA dog and her business City Strut on Instagram. Uh, there will be links in the notes to this episode. Um, and if you are enjoying this podcast, if you've enjoyed past episodes and you want to be supportive in some way, I would love that. You can like the show. You can rate and review the show. Uh, you can share it with people. It's always a great way to, uh, to promote it. Word of mouth goes a really long way. Uh, and if you are experiencing abundance in your life and would like to contribute a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, whatever you got, 
there are some ways that you can make a financial contribution um, in the notes as well. We've got a support page over at Flare for the Curious where you can contribute via PayPal, Venmo, Zelle. Uh, we've got a Patreon page going. Uh, Any way that you feel comfortable, we are happy to receive the donation. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. It's our first episode of 2020. I'm looking forward to many more. Thank you all so much for listening and supporting along the way. I'm so grateful Bonnie took the time to come and join us. Uh, and we're going to close it out here. And I'm going to offer you the same advice I do at the end of every episode. Stay curious. Never stop asking those good questions and keep your hearts open. We're going to need that love more than ever as we move forward into the next decade. So I'm looking forward to doing it with everybody. I'm so grateful you all took the time to listen to this podcast. uh, And I look forward to hearing from you. So do reach out. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Much love, everybody. Peace. Here we go. Here we go.